okay with the children, so if it's okay with them, the rest of you just have to live with it, right? So if you have a scripture in front of you and you'd like to find the book of Colossians, uh, you can turn there to the second chapter. Colossians follows Philippians. If you, It's not anywhere close to Exodus. So just get out of Exodus while you can. <laughs> That's what it means, right? <laughs> so I would like to read Colossians chapter 2. Turn on the microphone. The red light's on. Is that good? Thank you. Linda's so good. She's got notes back there. It says she holds it up to turn the microphone is. And then she'll sometimes hold it up that says, stop preaching. So I watch, I pay attention to signs. <laughs> um, there are two things that scholars agree with on in regard to the book of Colossians. And one of them is that Paul wrote it. You know, there's some books that, you know, it's not real sure about. Authorship is kind of sketchy sometimes. Uh, but they're sure about Colossians. It's, it's him. He wrote it. The second thing they're, they're real sure about, or real certain about, is that he wrote it from prison. Which, you know, I always like to know those kind of things because I think where you are, at least from my perspective, makes a difference with what you write. You know, if I was in jail, in prison, what I wrote from jail and prison would be very different than what Paul wrote. My letters would be very short. Send me a hacksaw. Find an attorney. Uh, Put me on the prayer list. <laughs> Lots of things. But, you know, Paul is of a large spirit and heart and mind. And what he writes about is not for his own benefit, but for those that he writes. Because he loves the church and he cares about the church. So follow as I read chapter 2, Colossians, verses 6 through verse 19. And by the way, Peter said himself, Paul's sometimes hard to understand. We have to work at it, but hang in there. It's worth it. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulations and was, that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers of authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you 
by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Okay, children, I brought something. I didn't bring anything for the adults, just for the kids. You all come up and sit on the first pew. I have a sponsor. Please, come sit right here. Oh, Got the old iPad, too. Boy, those are great. Okay, I brought some things with me this morning. You know, one of my favorite people in the whole world is not here this morning. But she's trying to listen on Facebook. And that's Linda. I miss her. but So I, I brought something because when I, when I see this picture, it reminds me of her. And I think about her. I told her I was going to bring a picture. And she said, don't bring that one. I told her I have a real bad one to bring. So. But I think that's a cute picture, don't you? So when I see this, I think about her because she's so important to me. She, uh, she makes me food. She takes care of me when I'm sick. She loves me. And I love her. There's someone else that's really, really important to me and that we talk about in church all the time, and that's Jesus, isn't it? So I don't have a picture of Jesus. In fact, there's no school pictures of Jesus. There's no graduation pictures. We don't know what Jesus looked like. We draw pictures and put it in the Bible, but we really don't know. So I tried to bring some things that I thought might remind us of Jesus, and it's also something I can give you. Is that okay? Giving you is okay something? Giving something is okay? Okay, my grandchildren like stickers. Do you all like stickers? Oh, yeah. They love And they don't put stickers on the church, though. You can put it on church members. In fact, if you see anybody asleep, we'll put a sticker right on them. That'll, that'll teach them to sleep. So I want you to help me. Which of these stickers remind us of Jesus and which don't? Okay? Can you do that? All right, good. I love it. These guys are cooperative, and they don't sleep. So what is this sticker of? Yeah, the United States flag, isn't it? I'll show it up for the people in the back. So this is a flag, and it, it, it's a sticker that when I see it, I think about our country. I think about uh, the people that work so hard so we can be free. And I think about this great place we live, but I don't really think about Jesus, do I? Because he wasn't an American. He never saw this flag, but it's still a good sticker. I'm going to put these up for you guys to have later. What about this? What is this sticker? Yep, that's a football. Kind of like a baseball, isn't it? Yep. Jesus didn't play football, did he? No, no. He never saw a football, never went to a football game, never saw one on TV. So this doesn't really help me think about Jesus. But it's still a cool sticker, particularly when the fall gets here and this game starts. What is this sticker? What are these stickers about? Yes, fire drills, fire trucks, fire plugs, fire hoses. Brave. And we love the fire people. 
men and women, because when we have a fire in our house, they come and help us, don't they? I wish I had had a flood department. I could have used a flood truck is what I could have used. No fires, but Jesus never sat on a fire truck, did he? No, no. It doesn't really help me much. He helped people a lot, but not so much with fires. One more. What about this one? What is this? Oh, you know hearts, don't you? <laughs> and, uh, oh gosh, you are so smart. You are so, so smart. The adults would never have gotten that. And I wonder if I can get this open because I am going to put a heart on. You know, I should have practiced this because how do you get these hearts off, you know? Okay, show me. Okay, on my hand, please. Okay, everybody else needs a heart. So why does the heart remind us, make us think about Jesus? Why does the heart, do you think, make us think about Jesus? Anybody? Oh, gosh. Without a heart, you can't love anyone. And, and God gave us our hearts, and God loves us through Jesus, and we love him, don't we? So you all are exactly right. I don't even need to have a children's sermon. You all know it already. So I'm going to leave all these stickers up here after, after church, and if you want some more, you can take them, okay? All of them if you want to. Just don't put them on the church, right? Put them on people, but not the church. So when we see the heart, we think about Jesus because Jesus is love. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for teaching us to love, and for helping us to love you. And we do love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for coming. Better not leave Linda's picture on the pulpit. I'll be in big trouble. That microphone fell off, didn't it? Let me get one of these surgically attached. I got the curse of Marco. So, uh, <laughs> you know, children's sermons, uh, some of uh, some are easier than others. Some do, some it was better than others. I heard about a guy that did children's sermons, but he didn't do them very well, you know, and then we all have our different gifts, right? And so he sits down with the kids and he says, um, okay, I want to ask you a question, which is, you know, sometimes a dangerous thing to do, but he said, so uh, what sits in a tree on a limb and has a bushy tail and chews nuts? And then he just stands there, and nobody says anything. And finally, a little boy raises his hand, and he says, yes. He said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. <laughs> so we, we really need to <laughs> treat children with a lot of respect. And, you know, just like you saw right here, they've got it. And if we do our part, they get it, right? Those, these children take after their mother. They're real smart anyway. <laughs> so, Jesus, he's the answer. And we say that, don't we? Sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus.
And I believe that, and you do too, probably, if you're here, that we believe Jesus is the answer. We believe that he has the truth, the life, the hope that the world needs. That's why we gather together as believers. But before we say that, we should at least ask what the question is before we say Jesus is the answer. We ought at least listen to those who are talking. I remember when I first became a Christian, and I was a grown man, Bruce, and should have known better, and but didn't. And I got really, I was, as we used to say in the old days, I was on fire for the Lord. And I would go out on visitation night. You remember visitation night, anybody? Nobody ever been on visitation night. I was like two or three, maybe. Thursday night. And they trained us how to go, and to, you did that knock on doors, and I didn't know anything. So they gave me this spiel and said, you got to say this, you say that. Someone knocks and answers the door. You can say, excuse me, my name's Mark Roth. I'm from Mount Zion Baptist Church where I was baptized. Do you know Jesus Christ? Or I'm Mark Ross from Mount Zion Baptist Church. If you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? All right, that's the kind of thing they said in rural Alabama. Can't believe I said it. But anyway, it's all true, but I said it. So I knocked on the door the first time, and I walked up on one of the first doors I went to. I went up on this porch, and it was broken down. The screen was hanging on a hinge. The bottom was torn out. There was a car rusted out in the driveway, or what was the driveway, and there were holes in the porch. I knocked on the door, and a woman came, and she looked as worn and as ragged as the porch in the house. There was a baby on one hip. She was holding another one, by, another one by the hand. And when I looked at her, I didn't have the heart to say my spiel. I said, I'm from the church. Can we help you? So Jesus is the answer. I believe that. But we ought to take time to listen to the question before we rush to the answer. Paul was saying to the people in the Colossians, if you will, Jesus is the answer. He was saying to them because they'd gotten off a track. He said to them in verse 6, So then you who have received Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him. Now I get the sense from reading this that these people had received Jesus, but they thought of it kind of like something just happened once, and that's it. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And Paul is saying, yes, Jesus is the answer, but it's not just about receiving Him. Uh, Jesus did it, come and get it, I've been baptized, name's on the roll, that's it. Continue in Him, He's saying. Be rooted in Him. Grow up in Him. Get your life from Him. It's not just a once-in-a-lifetime event. It's a lifetime event. He's saying that to them. And He's saying that to them because something had happened to them. And we don't know everything that happened to the church, but we know that a few things had happened. He said, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. And he says that because some of them had been taken captive. Some of them had received Christ and were in the church, and something has come along. We don't know what it is. Maybe it's a heretical teaching. Maybe it's some bad teachers. But something's come along and are beginning to pull them away from Jesus. They've been held captive. And listen to what, the, what, was it, what it was that captured them. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world. And this is really important. 
rather than on Christ. My sense is that they have been caught up in some things outside of Christ. And what their approach had become was, I have received Jesus, I have received Christ into my life, but now I need to add these things to it. Christ is not just enough by himself. I've got to add this to it, this basic philosophy. We don't know what they were referring to. But my sense is that it was practical, logical, worldly stuff. Not necessarily bad, but not necessarily good. You know, the world has its own philosophy, and, and, and you know, it's not always all bad, but it's not necessarily in agreement with Christ. I don't know how some of you guys grew up, but when I was a boy, um, and struggle, most guys struggle with a little bit of bullying at some point, right? Maybe girls too. I guess girls too, right? Yeah, yeah. So I remember my father's advice was, he said, if they start the fight, you finish it. You got it, Joe. If they start it, you finish it. And then he'd send my sister to make sure I did. That's the honest truth. He, I want to report back on how it went. You know? Now, that works okay, maybe. You know, I survived the fifth grade or fourth grade or whatever it was. I survived. But it doesn't work in adult life, does it? And it certainly doesn't work when you line it up with the one whom we're trying to follow who said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. So I, my sense is that the church, the Colossians, they were listening to the world. And it's not all bad. But they weren't following Christ exclusively. Every tub sits on its own bottom. You ever heard that one before? Yeah, I don't know exactly what that means. <laughs> but I think it means you're, you're on your own. <laughs> That's what it means. You're on your own. And there's some truth in that, particularly in a world where people are not terribly responsible sometimes. But Jesus said, help each other, care for each other, love each other, help each other. You see what I'm saying? They, they, they were listening to the world, and the world's not all bad. But, but, it may be contrary to Christ. Linda has a little sign up in our home, and it says, the best things in life are not things. I like that. I like that. So he gives, us, gives them this warning. See that no one takes you captive. No one. And then he says in verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness, this is the language, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, you don't need to add something to Jesus. Everything's there. You don't need to take Jesus and add something else to it. You don't need to marry the, the, the teaching and the moral teaching and the preaching of Jesus with some other kind of wisdom. For in Him, the fullness of God lives. You see, the people that, that Paul was writing probably against were people called Gnostics. And Gnostics were strange folks. The word gnosis in Greek means knowledge, and so they were all about knowing everything, right? They, they thought that the only way to be saved is if you have this secret special knowledge that you had to get somewhere else. And what Paul is saying, Sam, in Christ is everything you need. The fullness of God lives in Christ. 
He's not half God and half man. Fully God, fully man. Jesus said something once that I think is very profound. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, when we see Jesus, we know what God is like. When we see Jesus, we know what God is like. The fullness of the deity. Not God light. Not part God. Fully God. And he dwells in him, listen to the language, in bodily form. They had this other idea that, that, that matter was all evil. Anything that was matter, that was physical, whether it's your body, what you eat, drink, what you walk around in, is all evil. And so they thought that Jesus, they thought that Jesus kind of floated through life. In fact, they would say even, Katie, that he never left footprints. That he wasn't, he was just, he was a spirit, he wasn't body. It, it kind of reminds me of one of my childhood characters I remember. Anybody remember Casper the Friendly Ghost? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yeah, just kind of floated along, doing good things, helping folks out. But no, no, 1 John says, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have touched, what we've heard, that is what we, who we proclaim to you. That Jesus wasn't just fully God, but he was also a person. That he was hungry, he was thirsty, he got sweaty, uh, he, he became tired, he became fatigued, he became frustrated, angry at times. And he models for us, he is for us who God is, but he also models for us who we can become. He is our model, and he sets a mighty high mark. So Paul is warning them. Everything you need is in Christ. He is the answer. You don't need to look somewhere else. In the fullness of him, or in the fullness of the deity, dwells in him. And he gives them a second warning in verse 16. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat, drink, or with regard to the religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. And then here's where the, my word comes in. These are a shadow of things that were to come. That expression uh, reminded me, that idea of a shadow, of the dog that I used to have. His name was Buck. Buck was a border collie. You know about border collies? They're herding dogs. He loved to chase. We lived on a farm. He loved to chase the cows and the sheep. And he was a worker. And when I moved him to town, though, he was out of the job. He was on the unemployment line. Nothing to do. So he decided he would herd the, the fish in the aquarium. And he would bump the aquarium with his nose sometimes because he was trying to herd them, trying to move them. And uh, I had to put a sign up there that said, no herding of the fish. He, would, he couldn't read well, but he read a little bit. And then... He discovered shadows. And when he saw a shadow, it was something he could chase. And I watched that poor dog trying to herd shadows. He was not made for shadows, was he? He was made for lifestyle. And you and I are not made for shadow faith. We're not made for this stuff worrying and fretting over silly little things. They're not necessarily all wrong. Paul talks about new moon festivals and Sabbaths and don't eat this, don't drink that. But we weren't made for that. Jesus didn't die and give us new life so we can make each other miserable with our little rules and regulations and protocol and liturgy and procedure. You know, this sermon is not about sin and no sin. This is about 
something that's not necessarily bad, but it's not essential. It's, it's learning to separate that which is really not all that important from what is critical. One of the first visits I made when I took my uh, first pastor out of seminary, I've been called to go to a house where this family had lots of troubles, and I went to visit them. I knocked on the door. The wife let me in. I walked in. The man was sitting in his easy chair, just like this right here, and he had a, he had a beer can right here. And this was back in the early 80s, and he took the beer can. He went like this. Shoop. <laughs> he, put, he put the gear can around a little, a little, little leg of the chair. And, I, and I, you know, I just didn't even pay attention. I just ignored it. But I thought about it later. He looked at me when I walked in. He saw me as the beer patrol. That's what he saw. He thought I was there. And I was, I was there to, to bust him because he was drinking the beer. And I realized that's how people sometimes see the church. That I hadn't come there to help him, he didn't think. I didn't come there to, to pray for them, to help them find a way into the church. I, I had come there to make him miserable for what he was doing that was wrong. It's shadow faith. I know the evils and the, and the destruction that alcoholism does. I understand it. I really do personally understand it. But we're after more things than 16 ounces of beer. We're struggling for the life and the hope and the future of people. Not this moment in time. Not this. We, uh, we hit our church in Kentucky, but Shepherdsville. And uh, we had a couple coming, the Wazorskis. They were wonderful people, but they, were, they became home parents for a children's home. That, I don't remember the name of that children's home, Joe, but it was, it was in Louisville. And these kids were kids that had been abused, had been neglected, had been taken advantage of. They weren't bad kids. They were just hurt kids. And so they would bring these kids to church. And, and I remember the, the church kind of looked at it like all these kids came in and they were kind of dressed, you know, different, you know, and they acted different. And, and the deacons came to me after a couple Sundays with the first complaint. And they said, you know what, those kids sit in the back of that church back there and I can smell Cheetos. Cheetos, yeah, they, they got Cheetos back there and I think I saw a, a Diet Pepsi or a Pepsi. They got Cheetos and Pepsi back there in the back pew. Well, I'll destroy a church, I'll tell you right now, they'll just... You know, that, that's, 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 that's it. We got to do something about that, right? The second complaint is, saw some of them smoking between Sunday school and worship. I said, where were they smoking? Well, out there where we stand. What, what are you all doing? Out there? Well, we smoke out there, you know. So, you know, our struggle is, our journey is, is to try to sort through what matters and to let go what doesn't. The problem with the church and the Colossians is that they had, look in verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you for the prize. That church was all about silly things. They were going to pieces about silly things, and they were ignoring the things that matter. He says about this church that these people... They have lost connection. Verse 19, they have lost connection with the head. And who is the head? That is Jesus. He's the answer, remember? And they've lost connection with him because he is the one person who can help us as a church to remember to sort through and to separate the substantive from the shadows. You don't chase shadows your whole life. You want to be making mountains out of molehills? He does that for us. You think about his ministry 
he spent most of his ministry dealing with the shadows. You know, he said about the Pharisees, he said, they strain at a gnat, but what? Remember the rest of it? Oh, gosh, this is good stuff. You guys need to write this stuff down, put it on the back of your bumper sticker or something. They strain at a gnat, but they swallow a camel. And you have to imagine that. He was really, Jose, he was poking fun at them big time. Because you got this image of them, and they got this little strainer, and they don't want to make sure they don't get a gnat. And, you know, and if you've ever been camping, gnats are the least thing you need to worry about because you're going to eat a lot of protein that you didn't even plan on. They were worried they might swallow a gnat. And yet the other side, they're swallowing this camel. You can see the hooves going in, you know, and then the back end, and then the, you know, just swallowing the camel. And it's Jesus' way of saying they worry about stupid little things. They tithe their mustard, Bruce. They would bring in their little mustard seeds, and Bruce brought some to Sunday school a few weeks ago, a month ago. And, it's, you, you know, they're really tiny little seeds. They would tithe their mustard seeds. But they would ignore their hurting parents and family members. They had a shadow faith. They were worried about the things that were just shadows on the wall and ignoring the things that mattered, which were right in front of their face. And it can happen. They were angry with Jesus because, you know, he was, he was focused on people that were hurting and that were sinners, but he never got too excited when big shots walked in. Children, he'd, he, turned, he said, let the children come over here. And someone said, you see who's back in the back back there? That guy's pastor of a big church in town. You ought to go say no, 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 I don't. This is who counts right here. He turned to the sinners, and but kept his eyes on the saints. Because they're the ones that turned on him eventually. So he helps us. If we're connected to him, if, if we keep, keep our connection to Jesus, the head, he helps us figure out what really counts and what is not so important. And it is a critical issue for the church. One of the things I love about First Baptist Church in this area just like it's coming up, the food closet and the food pantry, I mean the food pantry and the clothing closet. You know, it's a way of saying this is what counts. Helping people have something to eat, something to wear. And not getting caught in the minuscule things that really are shadows of the faith and not the reality. I, I, I have a tendency to make a big thing, a big deal out of everything. I just can't help it. I try not to. I try to be cool. You know, when the grandkids come to our house, I'm watching them all the time. Not because I'm worried about them hurting themselves and worried about them tearing up my stuff. I'm watching them. You know, Linda's just kind of laid back about the whole thing. And she, her word is, don't call me unless there's blood. I mean, lots of blood. She just kind of relaxed about it, but I'm making a big deal out of everything. I want to become like the man who puts a little note in the insurance card of his wife's car. And when she had a wreck, she pulled the note out, the little insurance card. It said, if you're reading this, it means you had a wreck. And I want you to know that the most important thing to me is that you're okay. That stupid piece of rust is going to end up in a junkyard, isn't it? I polish on it and I wash it and it's all going to, but what lasts forever is that which is between us, between you two. That's eternal. And you give it to those children, and you equip them to give it to someone else. The shadows are all around us. I'll leave you with a story. It's one of my favorite stories, really. 
Leo Tolstoy wrote it. And he, uh, he told about a bishop, a very religious man over there. And he was going to visit an island or going on a boat trip with some folks. And as, as they were traveling through, he heard about this island where these three hermits lived who were trying to find their way to God. And so he said, you know what? I'm a bishop. Maybe I can help them. We go by and see them. And so they got to the island, and there's three real simple hermits. And they, and they said, we're trying to find our way to God, but we only know one prayer. And the prayer is this. Ye are three, we are three. Have mercy on us. The bishop said, no, 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 no. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. Let me teach you the right way, the Lord's Prayer. And so it took all day because they were simple hermits. And they heard the prayer. And they listened to it, and they learned it. And it took all day. They trained them and trained them and trained them. And he felt so good about himself. He got back on the boat and started heading back down the, the ocean again. And he was saying, you know, I have helped these poor hermits. And then he saw a light, a lantern. And he thought there was a boat following because it had gotten dark. But as it got closer, the light became closer, he noticed it wasn't a boat. It was the three hermits. They were running across the water. And they said, Bishop, Bishop. Can you help us? We've forgotten the prayer. As long as we said it, we could remember it, but we've, we've lost it. Can you teach us again? And he said, your prayer is sufficient. Let us pray. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would give ourselves to things that count and let the things go that don't count. Help us to change what's worth changing and to ignore the rest and the wisdom to know the difference. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, a hymn of commitment, and maybe someone here would like, let's stand. Yes, please stand together. You won't need to stand. I've been sitting for like six years, I bet, feels like. And uh, if, uh, if someone here needs to make a decision that's public, that is to receive Christ, or to commit your life to Christ, to follow Him, or be a part of a church family. I'm standing here to assist with that. Let's sing together.